episode 48 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. And we are recording this today from lovely Hermosa Beach, but we are preparing for a little bit of travel, a lot of travel. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to um, go to the UK. Um, we're going to fly into London and we've got quite a week to two weeks packed full of travel. Yeah, um, uh, my trip is business, yours is leisure, I believe. Uh, mine's got a little bit of business in there, but uh, yeah. So that's so I was thinking about that, like we'll have to see what we're able to, I think we'll be able to do a podcast next week, um, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But what a week, this was a week, I would say. Uh, yeah, I mean, the most significant for me is, uh, you know, just the... <laughs> the really wacky Affordable Care Act kind of theater that's going on and uh, the fact that the conservatives were unable to do uh, what they entirely campaigned on was uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. Yeah, it's it was... I mean, I was, I was really quite relieved um, that this was that this was sort of what, what happened by the end of the week. Um, although I'm not naive enough to think that, that the Republican party isn't going to work very hard to, um, to, to hurt, um, Americans, um, in, in, with, with regards to health insurance or just more generally, but it was, it was sort of amazing to watch the Republican Party, which, you know, now controls both houses of Congress and the White House, which has been campaigning about for the past seven years, which has voted, which voted, you know, Congress, Republican-led Congress voted over 60 times to repeal Obamacare. And now that they control the federal government, weren't able to, to, to pull it off. It was sort of a, a, a remarkable, a remarkable failure. Um, and I think a remarkable failure on on many levels, and I'm sure they're all very busy on the Sunday talk shows, pointing fingers at one another. But um, yeah, hooray! We have health. We we will still have health insurance. Yeah, I mean to recap for me, I mean I'm uh, I feel like I'm still alive because of the Affordable Care Act. I uh, you know found out I had quite a bit wrong with my liver last year, and um, I didn't find that out. Um, earlier on because I did not have health insurance because we are independent contractors and operate our own business. And um, until this hap- that happened, I, I did not go to the doctor. So um, this is good news, but uh, I agree with you that I think they'll just keep working to really uh, screw people over. And I'm just constantly amazed at um, how much they hate poor people and how much they hate you, you women. And uh, it's pretty crazy stuff. I, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that, um, that this will, well, again, not to, I'm, I have, I'm not naive. Um, I'm hopeful that this will help push this country towards, um, universal healthcare, some sort of single payer system. Clearly, I mean, I, you know, I'm relieved that the Affordable Care Act is still in place. Um, but it's, it's far from ideal. Uh, and I think that we could, you know, the, the U.S. could certainly do better and follow in the footsteps of every other country of, you know, 
the, the, um, every other democratic country and, and offer some sort of some sort of universal health care, Medicare, Medicare for everybody, so that it isn't just a matter of who can afford who can afford the you know health insurance premiums, who can afford the better health insurance premiums, and so on. So that was a that was a relief. Um, I also had just the most amazing, best, incredible news this week, but I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it yet, but I am, I have, I am on cloud friggin' nine. Well, um, it's, you know, it's not quite news cause you can't talk about it, but I can, I can vouch that it is big news and, and I, I do know what it is and I agree. It's pretty exciting. I think it's a, it's an interesting twist for our future and I look forward to the podcast during, during this time period. Yeah, so we'll we will. Um, I, I think by by next Sunday we'll be able to be able to talk about it. But yeah, so right now, I mean, we're recording the podcast. I I'm packed. You're not packed. But then I think what what we're going to be spending the rest of the afternoon on. We're flying. You know, we're taking a a, a red eye <laughs> to London tonight. But um, we're going to spend the rest of the day sort of going through um, and making sure our digital ducks are in a row, if you will, for crossing the border, which is something that I guess I've never really thought too seriously about before all of the latest brouhaha, um, primarily with people entering the U.S., but knowing how um, the U.K. loves to emulate American policies I have no idea what to know what to expect traveling into the U or into the UK and then coming back returning back home in a couple of weeks so do you want to talk I mean you've done a lot more than I have do you want to talk a little bit about how you're prepping to cross borders with a laptop whether without a laptop whether without a phone etc yeah yeah so I mean you know for me I'm, I'm treating all borders the same in this way I mean even though I think the the U.S. Um, is is definitely being you know sending out all the wrong signals when it comes to this, and you know I mean I am I am a white dude. Um, I do actually have my beard coming back, so I'm I don't quite have a, a long beard, long hippie beard yet. But um, so I probably won't have a problem. But because we were such kind of rabble rousers, shit stirs, you know, oh man, I just cussed. Um, we 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 do anticipate you know that that there could be problems, and for me this is just an exercise. Also, I mean it's a continuation of you know a lot of the reclaim your domain domain of one's own kind of stuff that we already historically have done as um, previously as tech gypsies and really goes into what what I consider to be contrafabulous right now is really kind of pushing back on the narrative and having our digital bits in our house in order so when we started planning this trip we both bought um, Chromebooks to do this but really quickly realized that um, there's a couple of things that we depend on um, that that Chromebooks wouldn't allow for. For me, it's the Adobe Design Suite, and I'm in the middle of publishing some guides, and I can't drop that. But what I'm doing as far as my um, my iPhone, my iPad, and my MacBook Air. So I'm taking a MacBook Air that is not disposable, but or a burner device, but is is not my primary Mac device. Uh, but when you know, in going through my whole platform and trying to decide what do I need to operate um, both business, you know, 
personally and professionally, you kind of go through and get to know yourself and which apps do you have on the desktop, which um, apps you're using in the cloud and you can depend on in the cloud. And for me, I have quite a bit of my world runs within my domain because um, I've made it that way over the last three or four years. But really identifying what are the key entry points into my world and it's um, you know your Apple iCloud account, your Google account, your Facebook account, your Twitter account and it's how these bake themselves into the OS through the account the you know for us it's Mac the Mac level account kind of integration. So really getting rid of those dependencies and I actually have a kind of a, a, a pseudo version of myself that is, you know, a, a, an iCloud, a Google, a Twitter, a Facebook that is kin, kin R lane um, rather than kin lane. And I'll just switch to all of that and, and clear my history, clear my cache, clear things up um, and not and just kind of have a minimum viable presence actually on these devices when I cross any border not just coming back into the u.s but um when i'm you know i'm going to make this standard protocol for when i i travel anywhere yeah so for me the i i mean the the chromebook um i like the idea of a chromebook and in fact i've seen several people um urge journalists and activists to move to a chromebook because one of the things with the chromebook is it i mean it you know is it's it's entirely web-based. I mean, you're you're forced into Google's Google's world, and really, over the last couple of years, one of the reasons it doesn't work for me is I've really tried to extricate myself from from Google, um, trying not to rely on on Gmail. Um, I don't work in Google Docs unless I have to. I don't use Google Calendar um, unless I have to. And it's 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 a process for me of just get, getting away from Google, knowing that, you know, Google is perpetually, I mean, thinking about, you know, who's in the danger of, of, um, of tracking, tracking you, monitoring you, storing data about you, um, really, we're, mu- we're much more at risk of being tracked and monitored by Google than we are by the government. Um, I mean, being, you know, being picked, picked out of, of a crowd and, and, and pulled aside t- to have our stuff gone through. I mean, Google, Google, <laughs> Google goes through your stuff. Um, uh, so I've, I've tried to move away from Google, but I was willing to try out the Chromebooks because one of the things I like about it is that you, you know, if you're logged out of the Chromebook, if you're logged out of your Google, of your Google account, um, it it doesn't hold it doesn't hold stuff um, on the machine. It doesn't have that sort of local storage, and you could even remove you know remove your your name is coming up from the sign on, and like you said, have some sort of alternate persona that you're logged into a different Google account um, to make it so that you, that that the machine that you're carrying right that the machine you're carrying across borders is doesn't contain data. Um, and then, of course, you if you log into your regular Google account with it, you have access to all your stuff. For me, it's a problem because all my stuff is no longer in Google. And and I've actually, despite being a, you know, obviously a, a, a fan of the web, I don't do a lot of stuff in the browser. I, um, I really do prefer desktop software. Um, although some of, I mean, many of the things I do, I could do through uh, through the through a web interface through a website. Um, I don't. So, for example, my my website 
um, Hack Education runs on Jekyll, which is um, a, a, which is GitHub, the language of the programming language of GitHub Pages, and I use the desktop app, the GitHub desktop app, to update my web pages. I use a, de a you know a desktop software. I uh, can't even think of what it's called um, as an IDE, Sublime Text. Um, I use Byword to write in Markdown. So all of these are, you know, all of these are, are applications, desktop applications instead of web-based applications. And so for me, moving, you know, rearranging my workflow is a lot is a lot more challenging. And then finally, you know, I'm giving a ton of presentations in. Um, in the UK, and again, I use I um, one of the joys of a Mac is that you get you know you get to use Keynote, and I realize yes that Google has presentation software as part of the Google Apps, but it's crap, and the <laughs> and the you know the Chromebook isn't it doesn't really support peripherals in terms of being able to you know so I, for me it was just uh, I don't know a lot more hassle so I'm. Um, but what I am doing is I think um, I'm going through and deleting all of my social media um, apps, deleting the integration uh, that I have with Twitter and Facebook on that's, you know, the integration in the operating system uh, from my phone and from my MacBook. Um, and, and, you know, I, uh, I, I, don't won't use the fingerprint, um, the touch print thing on my phone. I use two-factor authentication for all my passwords, so I don't actually, I don't actually know my Twitter password. I don't actually know my Facebook password. Like there's, there's no way of getting that data from me. So I, I can't actually log into Facebook. Um, so, uh, so that's my, that's my plan. Yeah. I mean, really, this is is just I think about restricting the most common uh, connections they're going to tap into if they do get on your MacBook, do get on your your iDevice. And I like the Chrome, um, and I will probably actually go back to the Chrome thing if if I'm not like if I'm traveling and not needing to work in Adobe InDesign because it literally was the only thing that stopped me. Otherwise, I operate very much in my own domain, custom built systems that I've built. That have a web and that have a web interface. That have a web interface. So I, unlike you, I'm not very desktop oriented. I tend to be very web oriented. Um, but really it's about, uh, I think, those key graph style connections. So they're going to be looking at Facebook. They're going to be looking at Twitter. And and one of the most, um, I think, really damaging in going through all of my devices and doing this, and I've been doing a lot of kind of drills, like cleaning it up and then putting it back and I have so I have a checklist of things that I delete clear cache reset login and then how to get back from that and um the contacts is very oh I was gonna um, bring that up yeah is a very dangerous dangerous I mean because man my you know over 10 a decade of this uh, my contacts have never been in order and I use services that that have helped me full contact things that help you aggregate across platforms but for some reason, because everyone's got their fingers in that pie, like there's dupes, there's crazy amounts of just basically every connection that I have. And I really think that's, you know, that address book is really what they want. They want your 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 local OS address book. They want your cloud social address book. And they want any messages and 
connections they can make with that. So limiting that is is pretty much number one. Yeah, I was thinking I was looking at that as well. Um, and so this is you know this is the dilemma I think that we face in in many ways with the technologies that we've adopted is that we've we've adopted these tech, we've adopted um, companies tools, we've adopted certain practices for the sake of convenience and expediency without really thinking about the privacy privacy and information security repercussions. And so anyone that you communicate with in Gmail, for example, automatically gets added to your Gmail contacts. Everyone that you communicate with through, um, uh, you know, that like, and then your if you, for us using using app, the Apple products, um, you can integrate those things with the Apple, the Apple contact list, which is perhaps your phone. So it's all of the people in your phone that you that you phone, um, but then all of the people that that all of the apps that you give access to your contact book, um, your contacts. So, you know, I was looking at mine, and there are people there. You know, there are people who I have no idea who they are, but I'm guessing who they are are PR people who um, who emailed me, for example, when I worked at Read Bright Web, and there they were added to my Gmail, and then at some point I synced a Gmail account with my Apple uh, contacts list. So I have this massive, giant Rolodex of people who I would actually guess it, well, I don't want to exaggerate but at least half of them are actually not really people I know it's a bit like people who friend everyone on Facebook even if they're not like so on one hand it's really not that useful a graph because um, in terms of people that I have a relationship with but it does it does help I think piecing together like you said piecing together this, these sorts of connections between people. So I went through one night um, and started to, you know, delete them manually from um, from my Apple contacts list. But there are so many people in there; it would have taken hours and hours, and I got bored and quit. But uh, but we but we there's a way to do them all. Oh, just do them all. Delete all of them. Yeah, that's what I did. Oh. I just flushed. I just flushed it all on every device. And because I, I mean, the, 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 you know, going through each application that I have and kind of thinking through why do I use this app? What do I need? You really start to unpack a lot of the delusion and the, and the, um, that comes with the marketing with these things. Like I have in my Gmail, I have every email back to 2005 when I first got on Gmail. Not me anymore. Someday, (laughs) someday I'm going to need to contact some magical person in there and I'm going to know their info. And, you know, maybe people who don't have a very wide network, but I have a pretty wide global network. I would say also the dangers of someone in that graph at some point losing their shit and becoming a criminal or going up, showing up on a on a most wanted list is pretty great. I mean, I don't actually hang out with shady people, but I have this pretty massive graph. And I've done the thing where not only did I merge it with my Gmail at one point in time, I ran it stuff through, thing, you know, new cool services like full contact and stuff that would go 
go through my entire LinkedIn and my Facebook and find their email addresses and phone numbers and put and them add in them. my address. Yeah. Because if you're in the sales kind of, you know, Silicon Valley startup mode, this is what you do. This is how you think. And for what reason? For what benefit? So I'm like flush, flush it all. Because if I need to find your email address, I'm going to find your email address. And I'm probably not actually going to email you. So I don't need any of this. And um, so clearing it up, and then just getting rid of those connections. And then I'm going to further, when I get back, further go through my kind of historical, my Gmail like you have, and go through my historical, my Twitter, clean that up, my historical, my Facebook and LinkedIn. Because I really feel like if it's not within this 90-day window of our existence and our reality, um, at, at least me professionally, um, it, my digital footprint needs to exist under my domain. Otherwise, there's this 90-day window that everything else should be operating within. So um, in the process of rethinking apps, you found a new email app that I don't, uh, this is, uh, this will be unusual for us to talk about. Maybe I won't even mention what it is, or should I should. It's called Airmail. But one of the things that I liked about it and that you liked about it was that it actually doesn't like sync your contacts, right? So it's not, act or you can choose for it to you can choose for it to do so. So again, you know, and I think that this is really, this is going to be an interesting, um, the, the repercussions for this technologically, and when I say technologically, I mean in terms of, not just in terms of like the tech tools, but in terms of the products, but in terms of the practices and the politics around our day-to-day -day usage of, 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 of these um, various systems, it's going to be really interesting to see how we change, how we adapt um, to this current reality in which stuff that we were pretty lackadaisical about is now, um, it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just stuff that gets you targeted. Um, and oh, that was actually another thing the the news item this week was that the Senate's making the move, the U.S. Senate's making the move made the first move to get rid of ISP privacy, right? So, it, so all of our, all of our personal data is now for sale. Then it's, so it's sort of both commoditized and weaponized, um, in ways that I, that will change practices, right? They, this, this will change practices. It'll change the way in which people build software and the way in which people market software, the features that software, comes part of because although I think that there's definitely a push on the part of some of the Silicon Valley narrative that you know privacy is dead so let's just just get on with it I think that people really haven't thought through what the repercussions are again of you know of all of your of all of your connections being weaponized and not just weaponized against you but you know weaponized against people that you've met briefly or emailed with once or were cc'd on an email, you know, like you said, 10, a decade ago, that we're all sort of swept up, um, swept up in this. Yeah, I mean, how this is going to shift how we do business and how we use the internet. I mean, I don't doubt there's, there's still going to be a large segment of society that's completely unaware of what's happening, and are just perfectly, uh, you know, pigs in the pigsty being being surveilled. Um, and they're and they're not going to know any different. But I think you know, as I'm already seeing, you know, lots of conversations about about your privacy and security and data ownership. And then, like you said, as the FCC moves to, you know, allow our Comcasts and our uh, Time Warner cables and our AT and T's 
um, to take our our data. You know, this is going to go beyond the criminal, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts and other stories. Is you know, this is going to become civil. It's like, how does your how does how did my employer know I was looking for another job? How the heck did they know? You know, how did my insurance company know that my daughter was pregnant, or you know, or my my um, you know someone in my my sister or someone else? You know, it's like these these things like we saw with the target. You know, knowing your buying patterns. It's like because your internet connection is going to you know rat you out at this level. Like it's going to change behavior. And you know, for me, I'm you know I think through every tool that I'm using at such a, a such a, a, a fine level right now as far as if it's not bringing me value I'm going to go in and delete my data and delete my account and stop using it and I'm going to be you know the, the ones I am using I'm going to be only publishing exactly what I need to there and if it keeps getting like this you know I'm going to stop doing things on the open internet I'm going to run things on local servers that aren't connected to the internet and have like my Chromebook be my web terminal for the web, you know, and and that's it, you know. So I don't doubt this is going to change, start changing behaviors, and people are just going to, you know, behave accordingly, and, and you know what, whether that's intelligent or not, you know. I mean, this is this is absolutely true. It's funny. It's been two weeks since we first um, brought up the or the idea that I was going to be deleting my old my old tweets and I requested my archive from Twitter and it's been two weeks and they still haven't sent it to me. Um, perhaps, perhaps Jack's a listener. Shout out, shout out to Jack. Um, but, uh, you know, the, yeah, I, I think that this is, this is certainly going to reshape, reshape what, um, reshape what happens. And I think that, you know, you say, pigs at the trough and sure but also I think that this this is going to have this is this is going to be incredibly damaging and the place I always go to is kids right like these are you know these are this is the kind of um digital footprint that is going to um be you know really be I mean I mean you know really be damaging for the for the kinds of choices and the kinds of people that um children get to become because of things that are circumscribed right things that are choices that are foreclosed to them because of searches they made online because of profiles they left uh, on various you know across the various kinds of traffic that children generate using internet technologies right so this isn't just like were you a jerk you know were you a, a a jerk in the comments of YouTube. I mean, it it's that, but it's you know all of the kinds of shopping choices and gaming choices and digital media consumption choices and digital media creation choices and searching and um, that I think is uh, is really going to be incredibly incredibly damaging. So uh, the I mean, I think that people people will change people will change their behavior, and the you know the thing that people will do at first is a bit like what you and I have done is sort of like how do we how do we how do we perhaps not change not necessarily change our behavior t entirely, but how do we rethink what tools we're using? Right, we're still gonna you know we're still gonna well we're we aren't like huge. YouTube viewers or video gamers, but like, how do we're not going to sort of stop those things, but we will, you know, make sure you're using a VPN, you know, uh, have the, um, you know, always use SSL, those, those kinds of things. Um, 
you know, we can make more informed choices about what the kinds of technologies that we're using. Fortunately, a lot of people just don't have the digital wherewithal to know to know what you know when they're at risk. Well, and and we're already seeing this play out. I mean, I'm uh, my my daughter is coming with us to the UK, and seeing how she's pretty accustomed to setting up a fake account to do certain things to get at. She's got several, you know, alternate egos, email addresses, different things she use. But not that these are actually a way, you know, because she's doing them on the same devices from the same IP addresses and from the same networks, it's still pretty easy to connect those things together. But then what does this do when there's all this obfuscated information flowing over the pipes that are is is being gathered and, and consumed by the algorithm and and kind of paints this picture of who who a person is? And so it's like what I'm doing with mine. You know, I have this this simple version of me online, Ken R. Lane, that's, you know, reads CNN and Washington Post and doesn't do much else on Twitter or Facebook than these basic, you know, sends these basic signals. What does that look like when it's alongside, you know, the regular Ken Lane, you know? And so does that mess with their machine, mess with the algorithm, send the wrong signals? Does it confuse it? And I mean, these algorithms already have a hard time knowing who Ken Lane is and what address he lives at and what phone number he's using and and much of it's already public online but because there's so many copies of it it, it, it easily gets it wrong um, and this affects my credit report this affects many things people um, you know my taxes um, security questions when you you talk with your bank so you know what does this world look like when everything's just such a fucking excuse me a mess wow man I know I've been I've been perfect this week, with in terms of cussing. Um, yeah, so the um, the I think that this is, there was a really good I'll put it in the show notes. There was a really great article that John Herman wrote in the New York Times Magazine about platform companies, and I think that this is part of it too. Is that these are these you know these technological giants that really want to route. Um, all things through them, all data through them, and I think that he calls them sort of cap like pure capitalism distilled, right? The, the very essence of capitalism. But I think that, you know, thinking about this, they're also like anti-democratic, you know, profoundly anti-democratic as well, because we just don't have a lot of insight. We don't have a lot of options. We don't have a lot of say in, in what these things look like. And we're building these futures that are, that I think are just incredibly dystopian while listening to a band of sort of Merry men will sort of lead us forward with this promise that these things are actually technological utopia. Um, the other thing I'll put in the show notes um, is the the talk that Bruce Sterling gave at this year's South by Southwest, and it's all. I mean, his his closing remarks are always awesome there. But this year, I thought it was particularly interesting. He talks about universal basic income and artificial intelligence a little bit. Um, but again, this, you know, he's, he's, I think, a great one because he sort of says to the faces of the technorati um, at, at the interactive part of the show in particular, that really the things that you're, you're doing are just um, so empty. You know, I was making some notes about the kinds of things that, I mean, the kinds of comments that he was saying, you know, he said that when we say our machines can render us irrelevant, we climb into a suicidal ideology and we're all going to start reaching for the Oxycontin bottle. And I think that, I think we are at this really sort of dismal 
dismal moment. And I believe in the power versus resistance. We saw that this week with all the phone calls and stuff about the Affordable Care Act. But I think that we're going to have to start resisting and rethinking what's going on with the technologies that we use, and and pushing back on the people that say that these that all of these all of these practices are progressive, and that all of these practices are inevitable, um, because the, I, I think that we can we can build something we can build something better, but we actually have to, I think, build it democratically and not not with the boy wonders who seem to be in charge of this right now. Well, I think about I mean what his statements you know really uh, kind of shine a, a more of a spotlight on what I'm feeling already about you know questioning my generation, you know, so 44-year-old white male and the damage we're doing to this country right now with the election and how we we insist on holding our hand up and saying we need to be first despite being first since the beginning of time and how scared, how afraid we are right now, how, um, you know, destitute because we don't have, you know, the, the economy working for us and all these things. And then I think about you know, um, go, you know, 10 years younger, 35 year olds or 34 year olds, 10 years before that, 24 year olds. And thinking about how scared these, these kids are when it comes to, you know, an opinionated woman says something online or, or in person at a conference and they just fucking lose their shit. And, you know, that's just fear. That's just, that's just being super scared about the world around you. And what do those, what do those, those kids look like in, you know, when they're my age and they're 44 or 45 and they've, they've, they've got kids and they got child support payments and divorces and, and, you know, there's all life coming down even further on them and they're not making ends meet because they operate in these platforms that we've built willingly. We've built and codified these platforms that are now exploiting us. The, the Ubers, the, the Airbnbs and these platforms are squeezing us and squeezing us and trying to get every bit of of revenue they can out of us and our digital selves as well as our physical worlds you know like with uber people living in their cars working for pennies working for multiple providers multiple platforms you know what does this look like in 10 years what does it look like in 20 years and that scares me those those scared little white boys in 10 20 years um if our generation is squawking this loud it's it's not going to be pretty well, that's a that's an uplifting place to to leave it. Oh, we're gonna leave it there. I guess we're at thirty five minutes, huh? Wow. Alrighty. Well, I I put out there that we are gonna do a podcast. We are gonna do a podcast next week. We're gonna do it from London. Um, so when no we way. get to, when we're we get be to on London, the train. Yeah, we'll be on the when train. We but get we get, I think London. we get to London. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, um, we'll do a podcast next week and, and well, no guarantees it won't be just as depressing. But, and then I can tell everyone my exciting news. Uh, yes, we're looking forward to it. Until then. <laughs> Until then. Until then.